You're listening to a Bible lesson taught in the youth group at Trinity Baptist Church. We hope this Bible lesson will help and encourage you as you seek to live for the Lord. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Should be a familiar passage of scripture to us, but I want to approach this from a thought. When does eternal life begin? Don't answer that. We'll be looking at through the scriptures as we read through this chapter. When does eternal life begin? Started mulling on this uh, probably earlier on this year, maybe around February. And uh, I've been uh, talking to my daughter a little bit about it. And uh, an interesting responses to the question, because sometimes your first thought is one thing, and as you read and look into it and study a little bit more, it, it might change that thought. So let's look at Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start right in verse number 1. It says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall he also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, in order and affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometimes when ye lived in them. But now ye are you now ye also put off all of these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. We'll stop here for a word of prayer. We'll work our way through the rest of that chapter. Father, give us wisdom tonight. Lord, we need it. Lord, this might be a familiar passage of Scripture, Lord, but every time we open up your word, there's something new, Lord, that we can apply to our lives. Lord, take your word. Hide my words. Lord, there's nothing that I have to deliver, Lord, that can make an impact on this week in the lives of these, your children. So, Lord, open up your word for our hearts this evening. Lord, may your Holy Spirit have liberty, Lord, to teach us, to instruct us in your Lord. And Lord, make us, draw us closer to your Son. Lord, make us more like Him, that our lives would reflect His righteousness. Only for you, Lord. Lord, we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Set your affections on things above, not on things of earth. Set your affections on things above, not on things of earth. Certainly a familiar passage of Scripture, certainly a familiar verse. I know it's very popular in the camp-type uh, settings. And Paul is trying to get the attention of this church. He is trying to instruct them in the way, as he, as he led up to this chapter, in the first two chapters of the book of Colossians, He's explaining the differences between working and living under the law and working and living under grace. And he's trying to get to the heart of the matter because really that's the difference. It's a heart matter. 
Some of the things that we do aren't going to change, but why are we doing it? Is it because our affections are set on, on, on heaven? Is it because our, our, our affections are set on the things of God and those things and those affections are driving what it is that we do? Or are we just in the rut, moving forward, at the same pace that we always have been, doing the things that we've always done? Where are your affections set? What are the thoughts that consume your mind? Where is your attention drawn? What are the things that you dwell upon, think upon, in the times when your mind goes idle, where does it default to? Are they in the things of the Lord? Or are they the things of this earth? Things of the Holocaust? And that's really the question that I'd like to pose, the second question of the evening. We see here in this passage of Scripture, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. If ye then be risen in Christ, what an interesting way to describe if you are saved. If you have accepted Christ as your personal Savior, instead of using those terms, Paul lays this out to say, if you are then risen with Christ. He's laying the groundwork here to say, if you are risen with Christ, you have been given new life. And this new life should be different from the life that you've known before. It should have a different purpose. It should have a different direction. It should have new meaning. It should have a new fire to it. And so he's laying the groundwork for the statements that he's making, saying, if you're risen in Christ, then do these things. Are we risen in Christ? I would say most of you here have made a profession of faith, and I won't, I won't doubt what you're saying is true. I wouldn't doubt one individual that says, you and I have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But is this just a profession? Is it just a statement? Is it just something that we say because of the emotional experience that we have? Or are we truly risen with new life in Christ? Tyler can testify about walking in a certain way of having a profession of praying a prayer, but not experiencing a life risen in Christ until later in his teen years. I didn't come to know Christ until I was 15 years old. Later in my teen years, after being in this church and part of this ministry since six months old. It's a long time to go hearing the preaching and teaching of the Word of God and resting on a profession, but yet not having a new life risen in Christ. So Paul's laying the groundwork here and he says, If then you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Don't get caught up in what you can see. Close the physical eyes and open up your eyes of faith to see beyond what is in front of you. To see God at work when it doesn't seem to be that He is. Trusting in the fact that what His Word says is true, even though it doesn't look like it's unfolding that way. Those are our spiritual eyes. Those are the eyes that have been awakened at the moment of salvation. 
I pose the question, when does eternal life begin? I firmly believe that the Bible supports eternal life begins at the moment of salvation. Boy, I always thought, I cannot wait till I get to heaven, and I truly can. And my eternal life will begin, and I'll have a glorified body, and I'll be in the presence of God, and I'll see those that have gone on before me, and this new realm of my life will now open up. But why wait? You say, Phil, you're getting a little creepy on us here. No, that's not my intent, but follow my thinking here. If when Adam sinned, his spirit died, as the Bible records in Genesis that it did, and when we are risen in Christ by putting our faith and trust in, in Jesus' work, we are given new life as Jesus describes in John 3. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, He hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins. That chapter goes on to describe the new life that Christ has given. It's referred to in the, in the New Testament as being born again. Paul refers to it in many of his letters as having a new life or an abundant life. What is this life? That is the beginning. It's the birth of our eternal life. An everlasting state that will not die. As this body or this tent, as it's called, this tabernacle, as it fades away and eventually goes away, as I was talking to Brother David, I got in the middle of a conversation and they were talking about getting our new bodies. And I said, I am looking forward to my new body and maybe this time it won't be a convertible. That'll be great, you know, a little bit warm, more warmth on top, you know, less sun, that'll be fantastic. I am looking forward to that new body. This one's wearing out. It's not that old, but boy, there's some miles on it. I'm ready for a new model. And I do look forward to that. But you know what? I don't need to wait to grow in my spiritual walk. I don't need to wait to be in the presence of God. We sit in the presence of God tonight. We don't have to wait to go to glory for us to see Him. We can see Him by faith. We can sit in His presence by faith. We can enter His throne room by faith. Right now. The Bible promises us where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. There are more than two or three of us here and we are gathered in the name of Christ and so we can have confidence in the Word of God that He is here in the midst of us. As you sit in this room, we are in the presence of God. As real in the presence of God as we will be one day in glory. God promised, Jesus promised us a comforter, the Holy Spirit. You know this. But the comforter is the very presence of God that dwells in our body. How that works, I cannot explain. I do not know. But I trust by faith that the Word of God says, I will give you a comforter. And He has. And I know from experience that the Holy Spirit dwells in my heart because He brings conviction from this book. He directs my life. He convicts me of sin. He puts things into my mind and into my path and He brings thoughts to my mind and recalls memory verses in Scripture to prepare me for something that's about to happen. 
or to help me react properly to something that already has. I know He's real. I know He's present with me. And by that, I know that I am in the presence of God. Set your affections on things above. Not on things above. For ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. That's kind of a morbid look at the years we have on this earth. But he's driving the point home to say, your flesh is dead. It has lost. It should not have any power over you. should not have any authority in your life. Its preferences or desires or hopes or dreams should not weigh on the scale of your balance at all. For you are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Because at the time of salvation, when we accept Jesus Christ, we are taking His life in our stead, and we are putting our life on the cross. So we're leaving that there to pay the penalty. And Christ is giving to us His life, His righteousness, His direction, His power for us to move forward in this world. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall he also appear with him in glory. And Paul moves forward to tell us some distinct differences between this life of flesh, which is dead, and this life of the Spirit, which God desires to live out in us. Verse number 5 says, Mortify your members which are upon the earth. Destroy them. Submit them. Put them underfoot to where they have no power or authority or presence in your life at all. And he lists here sins that captivate and torture and torment and destroy people's lives. Fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil computedness. Easy for me to say. And covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. And he targets the church here and says, in which he also walked sometime when he lived in them. These might have been a part of your past. They might have had some presence or some authority in your previous life, your dead life. But no more. Because you put on the new man, put off the old man. Your life is dead. These things are dead. And Christ's righteousness now lives in you. And he continues on to give a little bit more detail. It's interesting to me how he breaks up and why he breaks up this list. In verse 7 we read that, In which he also walked sometimes when he lived in them, but now he also put off these. Anger. Wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Breaks down a little list of something maybe more subtle than what, what the first one, not as blatant, not as grotesque, not as high ranking on the, on the human scale of sin. But you know what? There's sin. 
And they're equally as evil, they're equally as wicked in the eyes of God. And he says, put these things away. Put them off. Don't allow them to be a part of your life. They should have no place. They should have no authority and no jurisdiction over you at all. Verse 10, we read it. Put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created you realize this new life that you've been given in God is created in the image of your Creator. It's created in the image of God. It's created to reflect the righteousness and the glory of God. It should be a mirror image of who God is. That's what we should be showing. That's what should be seen out of the way we live, out of the way we talk, out of the way we act. It should reflect the glory of God. That's what he's created. And we're created in his image. Verse 11 talks about the lack of division. There's neither Greek nor Jew nor circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. And we're given another instruction to put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. What are we putting on? We're putting on bowels of mercy, kindness, Humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which ye also are called in one body. And be ye thankful. These are elementary truths that we are taught in Sunday school and they're reviewed as, as we grow and mature. But we cannot leave them in our past. These are the reflections of the glory of God. These are things that God desires that our life show. Bowels of mercy. From your deepest heart, showing mercy and kindness and generosity and love to those who don't deserve it. Because that's a reflection of what God has done for us. Because He showed us mercy of the deepest and dearest sort when we did not deserve any of it. Kindness. Often overlooked. The world in which we live, sarcasm has taken kindness's role in people's lives. And it's funny, it's an attention grabber, it makes us smirk. But truly, how far have we come from just genuinely being kind? Now people are shocked, they're surprised. What is your angle? What are you out for? Why would you do this? Because God did not smirk and show me sarcasm. Instead, He showed me kindness. And each and every day, He shows me kindness. And I want to reflect. I want my life to mirror what God has shown me. Humbleness of mind. That's a struggle. 
I blame the gender on that one. Gentlemen, we're generally not humble in our minds. We're very much caught up with ourselves. That's a challenge. In Philippians 3, we read Christ's humbleness. How he submitted himself to be obedient. I did not be the death of the cross. Reflecting what God has shown to us outward to this world that's around us. Meekness. I chalked this up here. This is Phil's definition. Not always having to be right. I know that's not a textbook or theological definition of weakness, but it has the idea. I know you're smirking. I know why you're smirking. I struggle with it. I truly do. Mandy, choose not. Bought my wife a mug that says, Always Mrs. Wright, because she's married to Mr. Always Wright. But meekness carries the idea of being able to humble yourself and put yourself in submission and subjection to others. Putting their needs above your own. Really, it's at the very root of what love is. Putting someone else's needs and the desire for someone else above the needs of your own. The reflection of what God has done. Long-suffering. As simple as it is. No one enjoys long suffering. It wouldn't be called suffering otherwise. And it is inevitable. It will happen. So we are then given instructions in the Word of God to prepare us for those moments. They should not take us by surprise. They should not be a shock. It should not be a, why am I going through this? But it should be an embracing of an opportunity to say, you know what, Lord, you're giving me the chance to suffer long. through this difficulty. Forbearing one another, holding each other up, and forgiving one another. It's something we don't see too much of anymore. Very easy to pull the grudge as we keep our eternal scorecards to make sure we know how it balances out because, again, we need always to be right. We need to make sure that the score is, is held fair. Forgiveness goes against all be able to look at someone and say, you know what? That hurt. But Christ has not held any of my sin against me. I will not hold this against you. You are forgiven as though it has never happened. Gives an example. If any have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, the act of love. Putting others' desires, needs, wants, goals above your own. Or someone else's good. And that is the bond of perfectness. I remember particularly going to the summers. Unity was uh, was a, 
a popular phrase around the youth group, and correct me if I'm mistaken here, but that is always, as you're going into these trips, you want to be a unit. You want to have unity amongst one another and not be uh, fighting or squabbling or not be frustrated or not be going in different directions, but as a, as a single army, marching for the same goal, heading in the same direction. Well, what is the bond of perfectness? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is that bond that you are seeking. There is that unity that is important about moving home. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which ye also are called in one body. And be ye thankful. Be ye thankful. Are we thankful here this evening for the story? We have a lot. Are we grateful for it? I challenge you to take time between now and Sunday and think about the things that God has provided for you and thank Him for. Now it'll be easy to go to the nice things that are, are make life easier. And certainly we should be grateful and thankful for those things. But don't forget as you dwell on this to be thankful for the things that are challenges in your life. That are there for your sake. To make you what God desires for you to be. For those difficulties. For the struggles. For the frustrations. Can we be thankful for Say thank you, God, for bringing these into my life to help me be who you desire for me. Thank you for bringing them here to challenge me and to show me that you are the only one. To show me my inability and how much I need you. Be ye thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by Him. The passage continues with specific roles and responsibilities. Wives, wives submit to your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children unto anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as unto the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong that he hath done. And there is no respect persons. I don't have to keep score in this life that God does. And by faith I trust that He will balance out and reward those according to the work that they have done. Proverbs tells us that even a child is known by their doings, whether his work be good or whether it be evil. The Lord sees all of that. He knows all of that. He understands all of that. And here we're given specific instructions in the latter half of this chapter, telling us in how we ought to live out this new life. 
We're going to live it out in obedience. We're going to live it out with the Word of God dwelling in our hearts richly, instructing us and enlightening us and filling our minds with the things and the truths that we'll need in order to be successful in this new life in Christ. He tells us in what we're doing, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Give it your full effort. Be focused and committed and fixed on it and push it through. I work in the secular community. What I do has really no impact for the cause of Christ. But I am instructed through the Word of God to do it heartily. To do it as unto the Lord. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So my responsibility as an employee to the company is to do my work to the glory of God. As though I was employed by Him to do this specific task. And I would do it to give Him glory. To give Him honor. You are tasked, some of you, with the last week of your school year. Do it to the glory of God. Finish strong. To where as though you would ascend your report card to heaven. And say, God, I did this for your glory. That is the effort that He is asking. That is the effort He expects out of you because He has empowered you with new life through Christ to give your effort, your full effort, in all things. I'll start stopping on toes here for a minute. But that is a daily challenge. Because the summer is going to come around and you're supposed to do all of those things in your glory Fulfilling your responsibilities and those challenges that summer brings. Fulfilling your work to the glory and honor of God. And whatsoever you do in word and deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by faith. My time here is done. As we've been challenged through the book of Colossians, Specifically in chapter 3. Let's embrace this life that we have in Christ. Is it impossible to fulfill all these things to the letter? Yes. In our flesh. But if you want to see God do some miraculous things in your life, ask that the Word of God be lived out in your life on a daily basis and you see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You see Him accomplish these things. You see Him take that angry response and replace it with a kind and calm word. You see Him take those, those words that would tear down and replace them with something that will build up your brother or sister or friend or parent. You see Him replace that desire to be lazy and just get the job done but not do it well with the desire to follow it all the way to get it done correctly and properly for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. That is this new life. That is our eternal life that we can live now. Let's not leave. Let's live it. Let's live it throughout this week. And let's live it for the glory and honor of the Lord. Father, I do thank you for the time that you have. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the truth that holds for our lives. Lord, the practical application. 
Lord, it is impossible in our flesh for us to do these things. Lord, so we ask you for your help because we are weak and we are not. Lord, live this word out through us for your glory that we might reflect the righteousness of Christ. We will praise you for it, knowing that it is only you that has accomplished these things. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.